You can subscribe to these shows at kevinbarrett.substack.com. Welcome back. This is the second hour of tonight's Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, bringing you all of the taboo ideas that can get people deplatformed. Maybe not quite all of them in this one show tonight, but we've managed to cram in a pretty good load of them. We're now in the second hour of the show, and in the, the final half hour, we're going to bring on Rolf Lindgren and Hannah Bettner to sing, or at least discuss. We'll try to play the song, but they will uh, be discussing their new election denial conspiracy song, which is what the mainstream would call it. <laughs> the devil went down to Georgia to steal some votes. You're not allowed to say that. When E. Michael Jones questioned the results of the 2020 election on my False Flag Weekly News podcast, guess what happened? I was deplatformed. That was the, uh, I think, the second strike on my YouTube channel. And then the third one quickly came around. They never told me what that was. They just nuked the channel. So, yeah, don't ever question the American elections, even though all historians admit that a great many of them have been highly dubious. Anyway, moving on to the first half of the hour. Henry Herskovitz is in hot water with the ADL, just like me. This week, the ADL put out a fatwa targeting Substack in general and my Substack in particular. They also apparently recently uh, put out a report on all of the so-called like radical anti-Zionist inflammatory activity or something like that, uh, hostile anti-Zionist groups, I guess is the way they put it, and it turns out that they found 70 incidents that occurred last year of hostile anti-Zionist activity. Now, of those 70 incidents, 53 of them happened in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I have the man uh, <laughs> right here on the radio show who is largely responsible because that's the um, the Witness for Peace movement. And Henry Herskovitz is the man. So, Henry, congratulations on winning the grand prize from the ADL. Once again, Kevin, it's great to hear your voice. I want to give a shout out to all your Christian listeners to have a, uh, a happy and blessed Easter weekend. Okay, uh, happy and blessed Easter weekend to all uh, all the Christians. And, of course, uh, happy mid-Ramadan to us Muslims. And I think that uh, the Jews, uh, they're, they're celebrating Passover, aren't they? The uh, the mythical uh, exodus from Egypt from where they never were. Well, I, I wouldn't be that hard on them. I mean, I'll, I'll say happy Passover to uh, to Jewish folks, but you know, call, call me crazy, throw rotten fruit at me. Hey, this is this is. So <laughs> I, I actually have no problem with Jewish people, believe it or not. However, I also have no problem with free speech, and uh, some people unfortunately do. Yes, absolutely. And um, I guess I could. Uh, uh, also, add on to what you were just saying about the um, the ADL report. Um, it is pretty funny that 53 of those uh, a- um, anti-Semitic incidents uh, were attributed to us. Um, we haven't been informed as to which 50. What are those 53 incidents? You know, are they distinct from each other, or are they lumped together? But a uh, but another newsflash. Wait, wait, wait these were anti-Zionists, weren't they? Not not anti-Semitic, I think. Anti-Zionists, but they yeah. they they talk to me as it's a. Would they describe our group as a small anti-Semitic Holocaust denying group? Right. Well, I think the ADL called you a hostile anti-Zionist group, and then somebody from the mainstream Palestinian peace movement uh, put out a tweet 
making fun of the ADL for putting out this list of 70 radical anti-Zionist or hostile anti-Zionist uh, incidents. Yeah. And, and you guys were responsible for 53 of them. And now this this her name is Mari Cohen. I don't know what ethnicity that would be. But anyway, she, she's from some mainstream <clears throat> uh, pro-Palestinian group. <laughs> and uh, and so she's calling you guys uh, Holocaust deniers. I think I think it's her. Or is it? No, it's Ben Lorber, um, another uh, Eskimo, I suppose, who is uh, calling you uh, a, a bunch of losers. Uh uh, the, so yeah, the, you're actually being called names more by the so-called mainstream pro-Palestine crowd than by the ADL. That's actually kind of alarming. Well, it, it is. You know, there's a uh, there's also here in Ann Arbor a weekly anti-war protest, um, specifically against the war in Ukraine. They ask for uh, arbitration and ceasefire, and I show up with my sign that says "No more wars for Israel," and I get tossed out of the group. You know, <laughs> or ask not to show up and stuff like that. And they they called me in on a meeting. There was three of them and one of me. And we sit down at a coffee shop and I explain my First Amendment rights and, uh, you know, that they don't own the public um, sidewalks uh, and that should be shared. And it's they should certainly be opening their tent to someone like me who is um, clearly anti-war. Uh, I don't I don't want any I don't want one more Ukrainian to die for this. I don't want uh, and I don't want my tax dollars to be spent the way Joe Biden is spending them. So um, I don't know what what to do there. Um, but but you're right. A lot of the you know, and, and we are we uh, witness for peace in Ann Arbor is a half an hour away from Dearborn, Michigan, the largest Arab community uh, in the United States. And never do we get an Arab uh, peace activist to come and stand with us. So I find this awfully uh, uh, amazing. I think it's embarrassing towards um, um, towards the Arab community that they won't stand up against um, the, the the Jewish people, especially the Jewish Zionists. And we have identified the synagogue as 100 percent Zionist. So it's it's not a um, you know, you can call it an anti-Semitic maneuver. And that's what our opponents do. Um, but the. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is we've gotten no support from the from the Arab community. And that that doesn't deter us. We we uh, we are focused on what we're trying to do. And that is to week by, you know, every week um, get out there and say that um, there is a Jewish con, um, complicity in the uh, in the handling of our foreign policy, our U.S. foreign policy. There are, um, I believe, lurking. Congress people, U.S. Congress people in the United States government that have uh, foreign um, citizenship. Um, I think they should be required to uh, forego their foreign citizenship as long as they're serving uh, at high levels of the government. But of course, my voice falls on deaf ears many times. Um, the latest here, Kevin, and this was just brought to my attention about three or four days ago, is that there are uh, two Jewish congressmen from um, uh, I think um, <clears throat> the West Bloomfield Hills area, a very wealthy Jewish area of Detroit, and they are they're, they're going after a um, uh, a 1976 um, public act of Michigan, and they're trying to modify it. This public act is to is a civil rights act. It's called the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act, um, and these people are going through it with a fine tooth comb, and they have submitted it to the Committee on the Judiciary. And it's going to make uh, it illegal 
to make, and I'm quoting here, making false and mendacious, dehumanizing, demonizing, demeaning, or stereotypical allegations about Jewish individuals as such, or the power of Jewish individuals as a collective, including allegations such as the myth about a world Jewish conspiracy or of Jewish individuals controlling the media, economy, government, or other societal institutions. Now, now, now does that allow you to, to state the simple fact that uh, people of Jewish ethnicity are massively overrepresented in positions of power in uh, media and uh, finance? Now, this well, is something I, I actually uh, was cited by the ADL for saying that. And to me, that's like saying the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. I mean, it's just a truism. Well, the, the uh, it is. And, and uh, once you cross that borderline between Wisconsin and and uh, Michigan now, if if this becomes law, um, you will be guilty of a, uh, you know, misdemeanor conspiracy, whatever they're going to they're gonna do this. And it's clear the reason they're doing this is because, as you know, um, we were sued um, three years ago um, in federal court by two Jews from the uh, synagogue that we hold vigils in front of, uh, and they were claiming that we were violating their First Amendment rights to uh, to to worship in the religion they choose. And the uh, you know, that was defeated at the at the district level. Uh, and of course, being a, um, a slap suit the way it was strategic lawsuit against public participation, they were set out to uh, to, to drain us financially. Um, it, they they appealed it to the Sixth Circuit, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, they also rejected it, and it went to the. They wrote um, writs of certiorari to the Supreme Court to have the Supreme Court look at the case, and the Supreme Court said, "Nah, we're not going to look at that because it's pretty, it's pretty uh, straightforward First Amendment, and it's uh, and it's frivolous." They didn't say it was frivolous, but the um, but our attorneys have claimed that it was frivolous, and they. Um, God bless them. They were they were acting pro bono and they racked up one hundred and sixty thousand dollars worth of uh, fees. And now the uh, the plaintiffs are supposed to pay that. The plaintiffs appealed that ruling by the district judge and the um, the appeals court has supported that. So so here we have ex post facto. They lost in the federal court and now they're going back at the state of Michigan to try to edit a. you know, a 47-year-old document, uh, this human rights uh, document uh, called the, um, uh, what's it called? The Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act of 1976. And they're going in and they're pill-pulling the hell out of this and trying to add all these uh, paragraphs, one of which I just read. And um, there is another, uh, there's another paragraph here that, that calls for making illegal the, quote, rhetorical, violent, or physical anti-Jewish manifestations directed at Jewish individuals or their property or Jewish community institutions and religious facilities. It's interesting. It's it's singling out Jewish people. Do they have similar language for other religions and ethnic groups? uh, Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) That, That sounds kind of supremacist. Nothing that I can, nothing that I can find, at least in this document that's doing this. They are, they're, they're inserting ethnicity as one of the protected groups. They're defining Jewish ethnicity, and then they're. It's almost like Kevin. It's almost like they went, they drove by our, our protest, and they wrote down all of our signs 
that we challenged Jewish power. They made them all illegal. And we made them all illegal, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, if we can't get rid of these signs, we, we better, there ought to be a law, in fact. Yeah. There's going to be a law. <laughs> exactly. And and if they have their way, there's going to be a law. Oh, man. And, uh, and yours truly will be in court uh, facing his accusers. Um, and um, you and know, probably win again because the Constitution does still include that First Amendment. And unless the judges have become terminally corrupt, obviously, because the thing is, you're not harassing anybody. It's not like you're blocking their entrance to the synagogue. It's not like you're yelling mean things at them or talking even in a high, you know, a, a loud tone of voice in any aggressive manner whatsoever. You're standing there with these signs that are kind of provocative, but also, you know, food for thought. And, you know, being very respectful and willing to talk and debate, you know, totally no yelling or anything. The yelling and anger and stuff and hate is all coming from the other side. So to my mind, you know, I, I'm not like, as I told you back when I first had you on the show, the idea of picketing a house of worship strikes me as sort of, you know, it's it's, it's kind of a bad start. But in this case, you convinced me to at least meet you halfway and say, yeah, I understand why you're doing it. You know, you came out of the Jewish community yourself. You saw what's happening in Palestine. You saw that this particular synagogue was supporting the genocide of Palestine. And so here's a house of worship that supports genocide. And you feel like you want to say something about it, especially having come out of that community yourself. So I can respect that, you know, as make an exception to my uh, don't mess with houses of worship rule. And you're doing it respectfully. And I think that's that's really the thing is like if you were out there you know, spitting on people and, and, you know, calling them dirty kikes and things like that, then, of course, that wouldn't be acceptable. And a, a reasonable person would say, yeah, you're disturbing the peace or whatever. But in this case, what you're doing is pretty reasonable. And, you know, and you're offering to debate them. And, of course, they won't take you up on it for the most part, although every now and then, like your Jewish Marxist friend had a little mini debate with you recently. But, yes. oh, I mean, you're you're behaving yourself just the way that the First Amendment, you know, is encourages us to behave. So, like, why can't they just face that and leave you alone? Well, two things. Um, one, one is that the um, you're absolutely right. We do nothing illegal. And believe me, we've been the most scrutinized peace group in, in the world. You know, I mean, everything we do is is, you know, they call the police. You know, if, if I pass gas, they'll, they'll call the police and say Henry farted, you know, and farting and, on a public sidewalk. Right yeah. <laughs> and so it's like. You know, we are we are squeaky clean on that count. And and also don't don't forget um, that, you know, when I did visit Palestine and came back, I asked the rabbis to address their congregations um, and not necessarily during worship hours, but uh, at a men's club in an evening on a Wednesday or something like that to just show them the pictures that I took when I was over there and the stories that I brought back. My God, in, in, in looking back 19 years our messages were so simplistic, like Palestinians are people um, and the occupation. Those simplistic statements couldn't be tolerated by the Jewish community. Um, and of course, as you know, since then, we have grown. We have understood the uh, the issue a whole lot better. Um, we understand how, for instance, the, the Holocaust plays a heavy hand in uh, determining um, um, who wins the uh, the suffering game between Palestinians and uh, and Jews? Well, and that's of course that's that's the third rail issue, and that's what's getting people to try to vandalize your signs. You said that the vandals are all coming after your sign that says gas chambers. Really? Yes, that's right. And and that that sign was generated by a um, I don't know if you know the organization called Jew Belong, 
Uh, it's J E W B E L O N G dot com, and they make these. They have, they're extremely well funded, and they make these posters that they put up across the country. And uh, one of them was just outside of Ann Arbor city limits, and it said, uh, "We're you know we're only 75 years from the gas chambers, so we don't think this is an overreaction to call out Jew hate." And that's when I went to the sign maker and said, "Make this sign." I mean, because uh, I I challenge the uh, um, the gas chamber. Uh, claim, um, and um, and I'm willing to be proven uh, wrong if uh, evidence emerges that the uh, that the Germans, in the midst of fighting a war on three fronts, they decided to design and build homicidal gas chambers to kill massive numbers of Jews. Um, and uh, on the other hand, if you talk to a Jewish person who completely believes in the Holocaust, um, to ask him if he would be willing to. Uh, admit he was wrong if he could be proved that there weren't any um, gas chambers. They they rarely uh, they rarely ad- would would admit. In fact, rarely I haven't found one that that would say yes. I, I admit I'd be wrong too about that. So there's a number of things going on. So it's here. like a religious tenet. It's uh yes, it's a religious tenet. It's the you know I quoted Paul Eisen in that vigil report. You know it's the um, the Holocaust res- resolves the great dilemma of modern Jewish life: how to be a Jew. When you no longer believe in the Jewish God, you know, so he says there's all sorts of ways a Jew can uh, find a God. Um, um, Marxism, atheism, psychoanalysis, there's lots, but there's only one that serves as a catch all for everyone, every Jew, and that is the Holocaust. So it's become a religion. It's become Holocaustianity. And um, uh, and like you say, it is a third rail. But to me, um, if we're going to liberate Palestine, uh, we can't shirk from our duties to to deconstruct the Holocaust and find out exactly what happened to Jews during the Second World War at the hands of the uh, the Germans and and uh, what didn't happen. So I, I think, yeah, that, and I, I totally support that. And I've done the introductory reading, and I know that your case is far from being you know as outlandish as the mainstream tries to tell us. Uh, there is a problem, though, with with this issue. The same problem that you know, my I've had some colleagues who became sort of quote unquote Sandy Hook deniers, who you know claim nobody died at Sandy Hook. That's the title of a book by Jim Fetzer. Yes. And when you make that claim, if you're wrong, and they're you know some parent lost their kid at Sandy Hook, and I, I actually think that they did. I, you know, I, I know secondhand the, uh, a friend who I trust. And her like cousins, whatever, uh, lost a kid there. And so, if there's any chance whatsoever that that's true, then you are sort of treading on somebody's sensibilities when you talk that way. And so, with the Holocaust issue, like even if you're right and there were no mass gas chambers, which is entirely possible based on what I've read, (laughs) more than possible. Um, But even so, uh, people of Jewish ethnicity and religion did actually uh, many, a great, great many of them did suffer persecution specifically on that basis and have horrific experiences. And many of them got killed, especially on the Eastern front where whole Jewish communities were just like mowed down. I mean, the, the horrors on that Eastern front in so many ways that happened to so many people were really, really bad. So, you know, like I, I actually kind of think that the people who say, oh, there's no Holocaust and, and those concentration camps had swimming pools and drama clubs and yada, yada, yada. Well, maybe they did. Uh, but still, overall, there were a, a lot of people who suffered persecution because they were Jewish. And 
quite a, quite a lot of them died, especially on the Eastern Front, even if, and in the camps, if, if it was just from deprivation, as the, uh, the Holocaust revisionists say, um, still they, they died, uh, pretty horribly towards the end of the war. So there was, there was a lot of suffering. They wouldn't have been in those camps if they weren't Jewish. The people who got shot in, en masse on the Eastern yeah. Front wouldn't have gotten shot that way if they weren't Jewish. And so there are, there was a lot of suffering there. And if you talk about this in such a way that seems to be just kind of oblivious uh, to the suffering and, and you, sound, you sound callous and so on, then, you know, I can see why that rubs some people the wrong way. Of course, they probably still believe the exaggerated version, which you're trying to debunk. So it's, it's kind of a, a fine line. It seems well, I think it's, you know, so so but that, that gives um, the Jewish state the free free reign to be able to kill 100 Palestinians just this year. You know, I say I say no. I say, um, you know, how do we trust the figures on what happened on the Eastern Front when we know that the communists who liberated Auschwitz said four million people died there? That was carved in stone and lasted from 1945 to 1989. I don't think we're taking the communist word for that. I, I think the historical work that I've seen is pretty clear that there there were a lot of you know uh, mat, massive mass shootings on the Eastern Front. But, of course, atrocities went in both directions uh, pretty much equally. If anything, the Russian atrocities might have been worse than the German ones. Well, um, sure, we can differ on that. And I think that's the difference between how Jews react to questioning the, this issue and you um, react to questioning the issue. You're willing to sit down with me and talk about this. Um, and, and Jews are only willing to steal my sign and run away. Um, and, and then when we do talk, um, the heated argument comes, you know, comes in. And, and the, 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 the 20 the 20 year old Jewish man who tried to steal our sign asks me where I'm where I'm employed. You know, so it's almost baked in the blood here. These people have the have the, um, the the righteous indignation that they can go after my place of employment um, to take away my job rather than engage me in a uh, in a serious uh, conversation. That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? You know, I was talking with Tony Hall in the first hour about he has why are why is the ADL going after Substack, and you know why did they go after Tony when he was teaching at the University of Lethbridge? And yet they don't go after the UNS review. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a two part answer, but the biggest part is, is money. You know, they're trying to kneecap everybody that they don't like and make sure that they can't make a living. Yeah. So that's just a, it's become instinctive now. And, and it's a uh, you know, it, and it's that's a uh, that, that's a way to to, like you say, kneecap your opponents without dealing with the issue. You know, you, you, you might be aware that. Um, you know, uh, General um, Eisenhower wrote memoirs after the war, and um, so did de Gaulle, and so did Churchill. These memoirs totaled 7,000 pages, and not, nowhere in those pages is a mention of the Jewish side of the Jews. Nowhere in those pages is mentioned 6 million, and nowhere in those pages is, mis is, is mentioned gas chambers. So how could these guys have lived through it. I mean, when people talk to me, I say, look, I wasn't there, but these people were there. And this is what they wrote. They didn't write anything about these major issues that, that we're now taking for, for granted. A friend of mine talks about the, the, the mighty Wurlitzer, which I think was at one point attributed to the uh, CIA, 
to get people thinking in a certain way. So like people who are basically anti-war and most people are, well, they can get their emotions stirred up by this mighty Wurlitzer. And I happen to think that there's a Jewish hand in this mighty Wurlitzer and they're, and they're spinning these tales that everybody buys. So you could ask the person on the street, um, you know, were there gas chambers used by the Germans? And they'll say, absolutely. And then you ask them how you came by that knowledge and they don't know. They don't know because they've seen videos, they've seen movies. Hollywood has turned out 400 Holocaust movies plus an innumerable other movies that just mention the Holocaust in, in a, uh, in a, in a low-keyed sense. Like uh, this was my, my grandmother's wedding ring that was, you know, found at, uh, at Auschwitz or something like that. You know, it's, it's um, the, um, the, the Kool-Aid. The amount of Kool-Aid that, that Americans have had to drink about this is just is just uh, staggering. Yeah. And I plan to talk to the um, Ann Arbor School Board um, in a week and, and because they've given me information about what we're teaching our students. And I don't believe we're teaching them how to think as, as critically as Kevin Barrett. And I think that's what um, I would I would promote is that people have. Um, an ability given information to make up their own minds about certain certain um, certain historical events. So yeah. I, I, and I think this is vital that we take on this topic and, um, you know, and, and, and deal with uh, the claims you've made about massive shootings in the East. Um, you know, I'd like to have uh, somebody more knowledgeable than, than myself uh, engage in that topic. Um, there's there's many books I've read and. Um, I think that the uh, the six million number is uh, needs to be challenged. That might be the that might be our next sign. Um, six million with a question mark and really six uh, million really yeah yeah no that's I, I think that's that those are certainly legitimate questions you know and yeah. it, and it is really sad that the other side has resorted to censorship to try to stop this uh, process of sifting and winnowing you know searching for truth. Of course, it was the motto of the University of Wisconsin, where I was pushed out for sifting and winnowing the evidence looking for the truth about 9-11. But yeah, yeah. these days, it seems like the concern for truth is really at an all-time low. Well, absolutely. And the censorship, you know, began with uh, Holocaust, quote, denial and the imprisonment of people for thought crimes. Um, that should anger everybody who uh, takes pride in the First Amendment, whether it happens in other countries or not. I mean, here, what happens instead of being sent to prison, you are defamed, demeaned um, and uh, slandered, libeled um, with no penalty. You know, you, you can call Henry Herskovitz, you know, uh, a, a child rapist and, and get away with it because, you know, I can't sue you, you know, you know. So it's it's um, it's name calling in a very mean spirited sense. And, um, you know. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be able to uh, continue to stand against this. Okay. Well, that's a good place to leave it there because we did just enter the second half hour of the show, and I heard Rolf Lindgren saying hello. So let me thank you for your brave activism, Henry. Uh, keep up the good work and hang in there and keep on winning those uh, First Amendment court cases. Thank you, Kevin. Good to hear from you. All right. Take care. That's Henry Herskovitz. He's... He was with it was he was with Diary Scene Remembered, but uh, now his group is oh boy what's what's the name of it I have to quickly Witness look that peace. yeah Witnesses for Witness for Peace all Witness, right Witness for Peace yes that's what all we're right 
the most controversial peace group in the country. <laughs> Take care. And Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, well, now turning to Rolf Lindgren. He is a, uh, a former libertarian. Please leave your message for 608338190. And uh, now he has become a Republican of the uh, Trump persuasion. And he decided to embark on a new career recently as a uh, pop singer by recording a piece about the devil went down to Georgia and stole some votes, I guess, is the subtext. And he did that with uh, Hannah Bettner. So we're trying to get Hannah on here, too. I think we do have Rolf, though, because I did hear his unmistakable, inimitable voice. So, hey, Rolf, is that you? This is me. I kind of thought it might be. <laughs> so uh, so we're, I think we're trying to get Hannah on, too, and I don't know if we succeeded yet. Hannah, are you there? I guess we didn't. All right. Hopefully she wouldn't. She wasn't alienated by the uh, the Holocaust revisionism we were hearing from Henry in the previous half hour. Uh, yeah, and let me let me. I want to comment on that too. Um, I don't really like that stuff. Um, and I think that one issue is when when people are continually arguing about gas chambers. I mean, you kind of touched on it. If if someone shoots you to death or starves you to death or works you to death, that's just as far as I'm concerned. That almost as bad or as bad as being killed in a gas chamber. So does it really matter how they were killed? I mean, lots of Jewish people were killed. Lots of people were killed in, in World War II, including lots of Jewish people. And a lot of, I mean, Anne Frank didn't die in a gas chamber, right? She was starved to death or did die from disease. She died from disease in the infirmary. The Germans were desperately trying to yeah. keep her alive, but they failed and she died. Hello? Well, that might... Okay, here we go. Hello, hello Hannah. Hannah. How are you? Hi. Hi. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I did not recognize the number, so I didn't answer it. But then I'm listening, and so I realized it was you folks. But I would be very happy to debate Henry Kierkegaard. Hey, cool. Fantastic. Yeah, we, I we love, will, we'll like, set up I a show. Debate. Yeah, me, me too. You know, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just like I. I'm a musician and I'm a business person. I'm not an expert in this, as he is. I mean, this is obviously what he does. Well, but I know um, a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it might be an interesting conversation. I actually did have experts on that topic many years ago. It was at least like 15 years ago. I had a Holocaust debate where I had two of the leading sort of debunkers of Holocaust revisionism, you know, people who support the the standard narrative. And then I had, uh, who was it, uh, Thomas uh, Dalton, the author of uh, Debating the Holocaust, which is actually a pro-revisionist book. So I had a really interesting debate there, and it came out pretty much a draw. Um, and so I'm always open to doing another one. But in in any case, it's, yeah, good to have you, Hannah. And so you and Rolf now have a new yeah. career as pop singers. Yeah. <laughs> yep, we do. We definitely. Your recording has reached the maximum length. To replay your message, press 1. To delete and re-record your message, who's, who's, press 3. Who's For delivery options, to? press 4. To send a fax, press 6. To cancel this message, Press star. To so send Hannah, message now, phone, right? press pound or hang up. Hmm. Yes. Okay. I, I don't know what that was. I'm getting some feedback. I'm going to call back. Message, press one. To okay, delete yeah, might, and re-record your Rolf, message, press three. 
For delivery options, so, somebody's, press 4. Uh, somebody's phone is echoing. Maybe Mr. Rowe, our trusty studio message, technician, press can start. take uh, care to of this. To send this message now, Mr. Rowe, we have, some, we have a problem here. Up. We need to get rid of the uh, voicemail options. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting, to replay your message, I'm getting a voicemail. press 1. To delete and re-record your, your message, your press 3. For delivery options, press 4. To send a fax, press 6. To cancel this message, press star. To well, send this message now, press pound or hang up. Yeah, we, I think we, we need maybe our studio technician, Mr. Rowe, to uh, somehow eliminate the voicemail. Of course, maybe Your we'll message stop. has been sent. Thank ah. you for calling. Goodbye. All right, yeah, I don't know. goodbye. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye, voicemail. <laughs> Good riddance. <laughs> okay. right. Why don't you play the song? Why don't you play the song to get you Yeah, let's play the song, and then we can, we can probably have more technical difficulties as I attempt to play the song, but I actually think I can do it. I tested it earlier and it works. So what I have to do here is I have to switch over to my speaker and let's see if that puts you guys on the speaker. Hello. Are you guys there? Rolf? I'm here. Hey, yeah, you're on the speaker. Okay. So now all I have to do is pull up your song, which is right here on my trusty uh, computer and turn the microphone around. And here we go. Here's the beautiful intro to the Devil Went Down to Georgia 2024 version. Not very loud, but I can hear it a little bit. Okay, I'll crank it up a little bit. How's that? That's better. The devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a boat to steal. He was in a bind. Biden was behind. He wanted to make a steal. He found suitcases under a table, filled with Biden votes a lot. The devil jumped on a video camera and said, boy, let's film what you got. I guess you didn't know it. I steal votes from you. If you care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. You run a good campaign, Trump. Give the swamp its due. I've had a fiddle of Zuckerbucks. I can steal elections from you. Trump said, my name's Donald. It might be a sin. I'll take your bet. You'll regret. I'm the best president who's ever been. Donald, gear up your team. Play your lawyers hard. Election theft in Georgia. George Soros dealt the cards. If you win, you get this fiddle packed with Zuckerbucks. If you lose, we all get fighting yucks. Don't gear up your team. Play your lawyers hard. Election theft in Georgia. George Soros dealt the cards. If you win, you get this fiddle packed with Zuckerbucks. opened up his mouth. Let's start the ship show. Fake news flew. The media was in tow. CNN spewed out bogus spin. Pelosi made an evil hiss. Liz Cheney joined in, sounding something like this. Okay, so that's the uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia 2024 version. Let me uh, 
fade that out in a very professional manner. All right. Truth you had radio actually didn't have too terrible of a technical difficulty in playing. The devil went down to Georgia. So uh, you guys actually uh, recorded that and got a fair bit of publicity, didn't you? Uh, we were on the front page of the Gateway Pundit, and we've been on some other radio shows. And and it's been played at some Republican Party meetings as well. Okay. So uh, there we go. Uh, Republican Party meetings, radio shows, and uh, on to fame and fortune, surely. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty likely that Trump is going to be playing this at his rallies uh by the end, by the middle of the year, or maybe maybe slightly after that, depends how many rallies he has. Because of course Trump has been arrested, and he might be arrested again because he challenged the voting results in Georgia. Now, how ludicrous that is! All Trump did is hired lo- some lawyers to challenge the election in Georgia, and now somehow he's going to be charged with a crime, and. The media likes to tell you that there was a statement where he said, you know, can you find some more votes? And of course, that quote, of course, we don't know. That quote is not on tape. And saying, you can you find some votes? That can, he might have just said, he, what if he just said, were there any uncounted votes? Can you find any uncounted votes? What, what's wrong with saying something like that? We don't we don't really know what would happen, what, what happened, but. The idea that they're going to charge him is absolutely ludicrous, which is all another reason why I think this song is going to be even a bigger hit than it already is. Um, yeah, yeah. When that what, issue what I, rises to the top of the, the mainstream headlines, then I think the song it's, it's is crazy. Now, why don't we talk a little bit of how the song came to be? Why don't Why don't you have Hannah tell her her perspective of how the song came about? Take it away, Hannah. She's new on your show. Okay. All right. Um, well, I've been going to Pints and Politics for about a year. Um, I voted for Trump, and before that, I was a Democrat. But when he spoke, uh, it was uh, it jogged my it was cathartic, and I started reviewing all of the ideologies that I had voted for my entire life, and how they turned out for our country, and how they turned out for me personally. Uh, so, uh, about a year ago, I started going to the Republican meetings and just learning more and listening. And the first person that I met was Rolf and I gave him my card for my band. And I said, I've got a band and we want to play for you guys. And, uh, then he approached me and he said, well, I wrote two verses to this song. The, the devil went down to Georgia. And, um, so he showed them to me and I loved them. I love the humor. I loved, I support the message. And so I said, well, finish it and finish the lyrics and I'll start working on the accompaniment. And so I turned it into salsa and we came up with the product that we have. Okay. So you realized that I could be deplatformed for playing your song and having you guys talking about it. I actually got kicked off of YouTube in large part because I had E. Michael Jones on a False Flag Weekly News podcast uh, disputing the 2020 election. And so I got a strike for that. Uh, They they have a rule at YouTube. You can't uh, dispute any American presidential election, even though the historians admit that 
you know, a large number of them are heavily disputed, but not on YouTube anymore, I guess. And so that was strike two. And then the next thing you know, I had a strike three. I don't know where that came from. And they never told me what it was. And I no longer have that YouTube channel with, what, you know, a thousand videos. What about the Al Gore election and the John Kerry recount in Ohio and then the dead people voted for Kennedy? What about those yeah, elections? Yeah. Can and how you, about 1876? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Or, yeah. or the what about the uh, the corrupt bargain with Andrew Jackson against uh, John Quincy Adams in 1824? Can we can you dispute that one? And what about the the Trump stole the election because the Russians did it in 2016? Is that one okay to be yeah, disputed? Yeah, and how about the Supreme Coup of 2000 when a lot of Democrats yeah. thought that uh, the Supreme Court stole the election from Gore? You know, and, and actually, even Alan Dershowitz that. thinks that was stolen. Alan Dershowitz, who's Trump's lawyer, says that one was stolen. He's got a whole book about it. Right. I mean, why can't this country <laughs> face the fact that it's a really high stakes game? When you have a super high stakes game, there are incentives to cheat because people really, really, really want to win. And so if we want to have honest elections, we have to be aware of that, be aware of our history, and then set up safeguards. I mean, it's really kind of a no-brainer, but then the way the mainstream plays it is just the opposite. Yeah, can, we argue about, can you argue about Senate elections being stolen on YouTube? What about that? <laughs> I, I think they singled out U.S. presidential elections, so I guess you can say. Okay, so the 1948 about- election that got Lyndon Johnson, when he stole it or someone stole it for him, that one, we, that one's okay on YouTube. Yes, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I think it's now okay to talk about the October surprise. You know, my whole life, ever since that happened back in what 1980, I, you know, yeah. by. by Late night, uh, beginning of 1981, I knew that Reagan and Bush had stolen the election from Jimmy Carter by cutting a deal with the Iranians to keep the American hostages locked up so that there could be propaganda every single night on the news and every day a front page screaming headline with a new number. You know, it's it's day number 129 of the suffering captivity of the poor American hostages in Tehran. I remember that. I was in high school when that yeah, happened. So, so that, that was that was the mainstream called that a conspiracy theory. And there's no truth to it. It's baseless. Yada, yada, yada. All these years. And then a late life confession just a couple of weeks ago triggered a story in the New York Times admitting it was true. Oh, they, so, so they admitted it was even the New York Times. Oh, Gary Sick came out with that that article in what nineteen ninety two or nineteen nine? Forget the yeah, exact yeah. year. Well, he, but Gary he wrote the Sick. Book. Yeah, yeah, he wrote, wrote the second October surprise book. The first October surprise book was written by my friend Barbara Honiger, who was a oh, whistleblower I met her from the Reagan Bush White House. Yeah, I met her once at a at a convention somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So. so 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 anyway, that one was obviously true all this time, and the mainstream denied it, denied it, denied it, and only now did they just finally admit that it was true. So you know, how long will it be before some of these other things are admitted in the New York Times? You know, you know, even if a conspiracy isn't true, I think it's fun sometimes just to kick them around and see see exactly. what you think. What do you yeah, think? What, what does Hannah think? <laughs> what do you think, Hannah? <laughs> What's Hannah's favorite conspiracy theory? I'll go with that. Make it into a party. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, when the even, Pearl even Harbor, the, the Pearl Harbor conspiracy. What about that? Can you talk about that on on YouTube? The Pearl Harbor conspiracy. I, I would hope so. That's another one that's pretty obviously true. You know, the the ones that maybe or may you know may be true, but we don't really understand the details. And we you know the like like the alien ET stuff. I mean, that's to me that's really yeah. difficult to get a grip on what's the truth. And so it's the kind of thing that you kind of kick around and, and admit that it looks like there's some kind of big cover up or disinformation. 
information operation going on, but we don't precisely know what it is I, and I, who's doing it. I think William Shakespeare should be banned from YouTube because he's a conspiracy theorist because he believes there was a plot to kill Julius Caesar. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We, we hey, used that too, Brute. Back in the 2008 campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 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 but the thing about the elections, though, is, is isn't it weird that you know we obviously need election integrity. We need you know. There's been this election right. integrity movement for years and years and years and years. And now finally somebody's challenging an election. And of course, you know, Trump's challenging it in a way that people could differ with, but it, it calls attention to the fact that we need to start safeguarding elections. And yet nobody in the establishment wants to face that reality that, you know, if you want to have a real democracy, you have to put a lot of effort into making sure that cheating can't happen or to make it you know really unlikely. And, and we haven't done that. And so, you know, we've got really questionable elections in this country. And that's one reason why democracies really, you know, if you look at the history of mankind since, say, the beginning of history, the ancient Sumerians, if you look, it's hard to do democracy. And if you do it, you can do it in like one city, can have an election. But it's hard to do it because because it's hard to stop people from cheating when when you have millions of people voting or hundred, even hundreds of thousands of people voting. It's and, and even if people aren't cheating, people are going to get paranoid. Well, we're not cheating here, but what about the next town over? Maybe they're cheating. You see, yeah, so that, it's hard to point. it's hard to do democracy. But the the, the large corporate interests have, have fi- figured this out probably around 1913 that they can control the elections if they can control the national news media. So yeah, that's why they I like agree. elections. Yeah, consolidation of power over the media has been a, a really the, a mm-hmm. leading contributor to these all of these problems. So, so Hannah, I'm curious about your evolution politically. You said you were a Democrat before, and then you started seeing a bunch of issues differently. So, what are some of the issues that you've so- switched your view on? Um, well, I just walked back on all of them, um, uh, like welfare. Welfare, I always thought that that was very compassionate and you should have, you should help uh, people who are down and out. Um, but then um, I see that welfare, it's, um, it's a form of enslavement. It, it keeps people from, from developing their own talents. It, it prevents them from having the self-esteem that you get when you work. It prevents them from building an estate. Um, it, it, it's a terrible thing. It's just a terrible thing. And uh, so there was that. And then I used to believe in climate change. And now I think that maybe there's some truth to it somewhere. But basically the way it is operating today is the big scam. And then there's the United Nations, which I think when it was created in 1947, yeah, I think that the idea was it, it would help the world be more peaceful. But today, I think that the United Nations is um, uh, totally corrupt. And one of the reasons that they are corrupt is because they are not elected so that when people get in power in the United Nations, uh, they never have to answer to any kind of constituency. And then I think the same is true of the European Union, which uh, these countries gave up their sovereignty for a united Europe. But then again, the people who are in charge are not elected. And whenever people are not elected, you can't throw them out. So uh, they become corrupt. And uh, what else? 
Um, the last well, thing to fall was abortion. Um, but, and I revised my thinking on that as well. Okay. Do you want to elaborate on that? Because we just had this huge uh, election for a Supreme Court justice here in Wisconsin that uh, got right. vast media attention, and the abortion issue was right at the center of that. Right, right. Yeah, unfortunate, the results there. Um, well, I think that um, young young people, young women, uh, they don't have the perspective of a long uh, life. And the decisions that they make when they are in their 20s are not the same decisions that they would make in their 50s. Uh, so many women um, will sleep around and then will end up with no husband. And then when they're in their 50s, they are uh, no children, no progeny, no loving husband, um, and they're financially insecure. Um, but when they were in their 20s, they didn't realize that. And so I think that a law that prevents young women from being promiscuous is actually in their benefit. And just like we put a, a fence around our children to protect them, also around young people who really are not mature, uh, we need to protect them too. So young women think that this is something which is stealing from them, but it's not. It's protecting them because otherwise, what is their reward? It's the couple of abortions. What kind of a reward is that? It's, it's, yeah. I would rather have children. Yeah, I, th so I think that's, that's a good point. That, that's part of a, a larger issue around the uh, the collapse of the family. Uh, and a lot of that yeah. is due to basically decoupling, as it were, sex from reproduction. And that's been done in a whole lot of different ways. And now they're working on the test two babies and the cloning and, and uh, gene editing, all that sort of thing to further try to uh, destroy the, you know, the family, which is the basic building block of human society and always has been. So, yeah, I think I think you're um, kind of barking up the right tree on that one. Uh, yeah. What do you think? And, and the well. Hannah, go ahead. I was going to say the welfare state is also destroying the family too. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I, I was going to say there's one more statistic, which is also important, and that is um, I heard this on Ben Shapiro that over 31% of American young women suffer from depression, and I think that is a byproduct of this life that has no protection around these young women. Yeah, no, I, so I, I agree. Yep. Well, you know, that's that's one reason I'm uh, working on moving to Morocco. Uh, that's it's just a more comfortable society for me because they still have the family unit intact, you know, and, and this uh, endless assault on the family here in the U.S. and across the West is uh yeah, you know, really uncomfortable. I mean, between that and these wars of aggression and the you know endless emergency from you know nine eleven to COVID and on and on and on, it really seems to me that our country and our civilization have fallen on hard times. And I go to some place like Morocco, 
where, you know, nobody is going to buy into any of this nonsense about, you know, 86 different genders or whatever, uh, or, and, and, you know, the, the, all of these kinds of, you know, make a, abortion on demand and welfare for single moms so we can break up the families and all of that. Just there's, you know, there's nothing like that. It's just taken for granted that the family is the basic mm-hmm. building block of society. So, you know, paradoxically, it actually feels more familiar to me. It's more like the culture that I inhabited when I was a little kid, like in the you know, early to mid-60s, mm-hmm. than this culture today is. Right. What about what about the king yeah. of Morocco, though? Doesn't he steal half the nation's wealth? Well, he's been accused of that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, actually, if you do a critical, you know, study of sort of how well is Morocco governed overall, uh, it probably, as I was telling Tony Hall in the first hour, it probably comes out, you know, it's doing better than North America now, which is a sad comment in North America. Mm. Uh, it, it's, I, I think, you know, I disagree with some of the decisions. You know, I, I don't like the Abraham Accords very much. I'm not a huge fan of tourism, and, you know, Morocco has opened itself up to a lot of European tourism, and there's unfortunately even some sex tourism there, which really ought to be eradicated. Uh, and on the other hand, I totally agree with them in their dispute over the Sahara with Algeria. But all in all, you know, Morocco, its, it's natural resources are not as extravagant as neighboring countries like Algeria and Libya. Uh, it, so they've really had to make their own living by working, figuring out ways, you know, to, to be productive. And they've done pretty well. And overall, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a saner society, even though it is run by this uh, king and the entourage around the king. It ends up, you know, <laughs> being a good advertisement for a, for a royalist society. If you want to be a royalist, you could, you know, try to you know, tout uh, Morocco as, as sort of enlightened uh, despotism. Okay, well, maybe uh, Alexander Hamilton would uh, like it, or or maybe Thomas Hobbes, you know, maybe they would like it too, right? Well, I, think I, mean, a lot I, of, I suppose yeah. it's different. It's going to be different, that's for sure. I mean, it's hard for me to under understand it, so, you know. Yeah, it's it's yeah it's, it's they've muddled through pretty well given you know what they have to work with. Mm-hmm. So it's it's far mm-hmm. from you know it's not the axis of resistance or anything, which I admire for their you know, strength and determination in standing up for justice and all of that. But in terms of sort of a pragmatic uh, attempt to you know work with uh, the hand you've been dealt, you know I think the Moroccan government mm-hmm. is not doing that bad. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And, and sticking with your traditions is a big part of that. They've, they've preserved their uh, family traditions, their cultural traditions, their religious traditions. They, and, and, and those traditions, of course, are really, uh, you know, both deeply religious, and, but also very spiritual. And there's a, a powerful mm-hmm. current of Sufi mysticism there, which is really cool. And, and this is something mm-hmm. I miss about the U.S., that our, you know, our religious traditions mm-hmm. have kind of gone off the rails and you know the younger generation is less religious now anybody who is religious is under attack by the by the mass media that's you know it doesn't matter which of the religions you have there there's it's there's a clear bias against you know people who are religious go to church or whatever they whatever they do even you know the the it's amazing how, how anti-religion it is. It's just amazing. And now any, anybody who's anti-religion gets promoted. It's, it's, in some ways, they, they do it in reverse. They think if you're anti-religion, like all the, the like right now with all the transgender stuff, 
If you're yeah. if you come out as a transgender in Hollywood, you'll be like on the front page yeah, no, of every magazine. That's absolutely right. So, yeah, you, in these it's days, ridiculous. Religious, you might get burned at the stake. Well, hey, thank you so much, <laughs> Rolf Lindgren and Hannah Bittner. It's got a good conversation. Yeah, Ke- Kevin, Kevin, so right? Kevin Garrett. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Hannah. Good to meet you. Take care, Rolf. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Kevin Garrett. Kevin Garrett. See you next time.